0: This is our second podcast, uh, episode two, uh, of our Risecast podcast, uh, starring yours truly, Josh Dobson, and my lovely wife, Connie. Hello. uh, We're actually going to go into uh, a couple of new things here, but before, uh, Connie wants to uh, go over uh, Rise Up. So uh, with that, Connie, I lead you in uh, to this segment.
1: All right. So the reason we want to talk about Rise Up is because, first of all, we live in Atlanta where that's the Falcon's mantra is to rise up. And we went in last week about what Project Rise is all about. And Rise Up has kind of been our hashtag, too. So it's just kind of like the perfect marriage. And I wanted to go into... Kind of talking about Super Bowl 51, I know it's a little painful for the people here in Atlanta, but I think there is something we can draw from what happened in that game. Um, For those who watch football or watch the Super Bowl, um, the Atlanta Falcons played the New England Patriots in Super Bowl 51, and for the most part, for the first three quarters, It looked as though the Atlanta Falcons were going to win the game and win the Super Bowl. But um, things kind of changed. Not so good for the Falcons. And um, the Patriots started making a comeback. And, excuse me, for those who don't know, the Falcons were up by 25 points. At one point it was 28-3. to And the Falcons kind of started... Celebrating a little bit, a little a little prematurely. Um, kind of started to ease up a bit and um, let their opponent come back and make an amazing comeback. And the Patriots ended up winning the game.
0: And pretty much solidified the goat talk of uh, Tom Brady.
1: <laughs> yes. So... What I wanted to talk about was we can kind of take what happened in the Super Bowl and look at how that can correlate with how we are as Seventh-day Adventists and just Christians. Um, When I look at our church and I look at our church body and I think of this movement that came out from the 1800s, starting with the Millerites and then Ellen White coming forward. And this movement was blessed. The Holy Spirit really worked in this movement and gave them so much truth. And they really just were a group of people on fire. They were just on fire. Um, And they just when I, when I look back and I look at those people, it was like they were unstoppable. There were so many other things that started coming up out of the woodwork that the enemy used as um, false. It was, you know, there's all these different false hoods that surrounded it, but this movement was full of truth, and they, um, they just came, this just group of came just, this group came out of just nothing and there was this revival um, and it really just i mean you look at ellen white and and all these all these books that she wrote all the literature that that we have all this truth that we have and um, what the holy spirit did with those with that group of people and then kind of correlating with what happened we look at nowadays um it's where's that fire? Where is that fire that originally started this movement? And the question that I have to ask is, when did the Adventist movement go from a movement to a monument? Because that's what I feel it is today. Um, You know, our God is an intentional God. He's an authentic God. He's a God that's on the move. And why are we just standing still? Why I would love for people to look at our church and say, that's that's the group of people that are different. Those are the people that are going out and they have the truth and they are going out and living what the Bible says we're supposed to be living.
0: You know, it was interesting because uh, in Sabbath school today, they were talking about the religious and the righteous. And is there any difference in that?
1: Hmm. It just it it makes me so sad, but at the same time I have a hope because Bible prophecy says that this would happen. And we go back to what Pastor Jay Lee talked about last week and we have this hope when we look at the book of Revelation and the Book of Revelation says this is exactly what would happen. We live in the days of Laodicea where the church is lukewarm and it's neither cold nor hot. So knowing that the entire body is not on fire, we know that we are living in these last days. This is the last day church. Um, and you actually, Josh, you had me read um, If Tomorrow Comes by Glenn Robinson, and I'm about halfway through the book, and there was something that um, if if I could share it with everyone, there's something that really it hit me today like a ton of bricks as I was reading this book
0: but before you start I'll just preface I'm not a reader by any means so for me to recommend a book uh specifically one of the few that I've actually read (laughs) (laughs) it's actually a, a really good book and I would recommend it to anyone uh specifically those who are interested in uh end time scenarios
1: and it's, it is funny, because normally I would be the one recommending a book to you, and you're like, yeah, let me know when the movie comes out.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll just do a little <laughs> plug for our, uh, our church library. Uh, it is in the library, but uh, Connie has to finish the whole book first, and then we'll return it and uh, allow other people to, to read it.
1: Yes. So anyways, just a quick little preface. There's a, a young man. He's about 18 years old. His name is Mitch. And he's at this Bible study with his friend Reed, and Reed is older, and they're going through this Bible study. The Bible study ends, and but during the Bible study, Mitch is going into uh, the prophecy of Revelation and explaining that and what the beasts of, of Revelation are. And Reed is just taken aback, and he asks Mitch, um, how do you know, where did you learn this stuff? And Mitch shrugged. And he said that he grew up in Seventh-day Adventist schools and churches his whole life. Um, And Reed all of a sudden got really serious. And he said, I have a bone to pick with you. And Mitch said, what's that? And Reed said, how dare you? And suddenly he stood up. And he said, how dare you keep this message to yourself when everyone is searching and scraping and struggling to find out the answers? God has given you something valuable. No, priceless. How dare you not share it with the world? And Mitch is taken aback. And Reed continues and he says, Mitch, the Holy Spirit is convicting me to tell you something, something important. This, this it is. When you keep such an important message to yourself, you are committing a sin. How many people are you willing to let die without the knowledge you shared tonight? People are hungry for salvation, and are you going to let them starve? And so that's what I I have to ask myself and anyone who is listening to this, any anyone who is out there, the Adventist tr- the Adventist Church has been giving these truths, very special and important truths. It's it's very tangible evidence as to who our God is and what He is coming to do His second coming. And this three angels message is something that no other group of people has had yet today. And Josh, we. We can go into this. We've talked about the remnant. And just because you or I are Seventh-day Adventists and we are, are joined at a church doesn't mean we are part of that remnant. Doesn't mean that. If we don't carry these truths with us and we're not going out and we're not discipling and we're not evangelizing and we're not sharing this truth and God's love with people, we are not part of that remnant. If we are keeping this truth to ourselves, we are not living in righteousness by faith. We are in sin.
0: Well, and I think that was kind of the point in this Sabbath School lesson today. Was okay. Just because people appear religious, just because you know the the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, they were the leaders of the church. You know they they wore the, the jacket. They wore the outfit. You know, they had the authority, but just because they were religious didn't make them the righteous. And the same thing goes with the remnant. Uh, you know, the Adventist church can have all the truth out there, but unless you're actively applying it, going out, doing this great commission that we've been given, if we're sit, you know sitting there hole in the bag, we're not the remnant because we're not going out and pursuing these people. Right. You know We're called to pursue like you, know, like a dating relationship, to go out there to find these people, to nurture them, and to bring them into the church. And you know sadly, you know, I'm not speaking of, of just one church, but you know, a few that I've, I've been involved with and, and heard from other friends who are pastors. We're just not going out there and and rising up to the occasion,
1: right? And that's that's kind of our question, and, and what this podcast is about today is when are we going to rise up? You know, like I said before, our God is He's an intentional God; He's authentic, and when are we going to be intentional? about sharing that truth and God's love with others. And when are we going to be authentic? When are we ourselves going to be living this truth and showing his love authentically? Not because we have some... What's the word I'm looking for? Not because we um, we have some agenda, but because it's a burden on our heart. Because we're allowing God to live and work through us, because God has a burden for it. He has a burden for every single person to be given the opportunity to accept him and his truth or not, and to accept his love or not, and to allow him to be involved in their lives. But we have to help make that connection he, he, it's like you said, it's a co mission. He has invited us to do it. He could do it by himself, but humans are so special. Like I go back to creation and how God spoke everything into existence, but he didn't do that with man. He formed man from the dust and he took his time and he created us in his image, We are special to him. There's something, there's just something special between that bond between man and God if we allow that bond to be there. But it comes, it starts with us surrendering our lives to God and then saying, you, you are my God. I don't want to allow other idols in my life to get in the way of that. I want everything in this world to pass away And just have this relationship with you. But when are we going to be intentional about that? And it starts with us. It starts with us being intentional in our relationship with the Lord. And then allowing him to use us to go out. Because if we don't initially have that relationship with him, it's going to always just be our own agenda when we go out
0: you know, and and the the no strings attached philosophy can be fairly new for a church. You know, I've heard time and time again, you know, when we're going out to do something, investing money in it, okay, well, how many members are we going to get out of this? Uh, How many baptisms are we going to get out of this? And frankly, that's, I think, the wrong approach to take. Because we're not called to go out there and baptize members. We're called to go out there and bring people to the church. Whether it's our church, uh, perhaps the road takes them to a Baptist or a Methodist church first. Perhaps the the truths that our church have uh, aren't ready to be digested by these people yet. You know, it, it the Christian walk is like that of a child. It takes baby steps in order to get you into adulthood. And sometimes, you know, some of the messages, the Sabbath, the uh, health message, other things, aren't ready to be digested right away. And that kind of brings me into, you know, what we did as, a, as the Southern Union last year with Compassion 100K. You know, I, I have to say that I, I saw a ton of movement Unselfish movement from churches that uh, I was unsure that we were going to see. Uh, you know, I, I give a, a big shout out to uh, Roger and Kathy Hernandez for having this vision of compassion for Greater Atlanta. You know, we went out as a huge group to tackle our communities for uh, 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 to bring awareness to homelessness, to human trafficking, to hunger. Um, health, just by donating our time, our money, our efforts, our projects to these communities. And, you know, on a positive note, there were quite a few churches that submitted projects. There were also churches that we didn't see any activity out of. Now, that's not saying that they weren't doing any compassionate things, they may have not have uh, given project updates. But the crux of it was, is we were able to mobilize the Southern Union in the Atlanta area to get some of these projects done. And it's as simple as going out and feeding a homeless man, um, showing love to someone that has been abused uh, by the domestic partners, by drug abuse, by, you know, it's, it's endless what you can do to help people as simple as offering free health courses to the, to the community. Um, you know, one of the things we did was a health fair. There was a health fair to, to greater Atlanta. Um, you know, and, and we saw a tremendous response, you know, people were lining up before entry because they were looking for help and we were all, you know, able to give them free health, you know, and, and healthcare is not cheap these days. Right you know, the possibilities are endless of being compassionate. So, you know, in order to rise up, I mean, this guy is the limit of, of what things that you can do, you know, you know, what, what, what do you have to say about that?
1: Um, For me, you know, being a lay person, um, the important thing about this whole rise up, and, and once again, what you were talking about, it was We were intentional. We were intentional about going out and doing these things. Um, The important thing to remember is we don't need to wait for our church to do something. Each, every every single individual has the capacity to do something, to rise up to the occasion, to rise up to the call that God has for our lives. Um, it's just a matter of whether you're going to be obedient or not. Um, being intentional, it doesn't, it doesn't take, you know me, Josh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an anti-establishment person. I'm not a big, I love how the church started. There were people in small groups and they were meeting and once that group got too big, they'd split And then it'd grow, and it would grow, and it would grow. And these groups would just bring in one or two people and do Bible study with them, and they would meet multiple times in a week, and Sabbath would be special. (coughs) I would love to see us get back to that, and one day we're going to have to because Bible prophecy tells us that one day there's going to be serious tribulation where we're not going to be able, from what we can understand, to come together in a church facility anymore. We're going to have to go back and revert back to the way that the original first church were meeting together after Christ's crucifixion and resurrection and what the original disciples did. And so when I look at that, I look at these original groups of people that were meeting in homes they were intentional. They were building relationships. It was friendship. It was, we're not just going to meet together and worship. We're going to be involved in each other's lives. And that's, that's intention. That's coming together. That's eating a meal together. That's talking about real life issues that you're having and coming together and, and just building each other up and encouraging each other and doing life together. And then once you do that and you build that trust, when you start opening up more and more truth, people are more open to it because they can trust you. And so when you talk about bringing people in, that's where it has to happen. It's, you know, we talk about life groups and we talk about building those relationships and friendship evangelism. You build that trust, and then when someone can trust you, you start opening up these you start opening up the Bible and you start showing them truth and you you pray that the Lord opens your heart and their heart and and your minds up to new truth, and we're constantly learning every even us like we can never say that we're a finished work; we are still a work in progress, we are still learning, and we always will be we're never going to know how much God knows. We're, we're always going to be a work in progress. And so the moment that we stop and say, no, I'm good, I, I know what I need to know, we're in trouble. And so that's, that's the, the crux of what scares me about the Adventist movement is have we gotten to this point where we said, no, we've got the truth and we've stopped. We haven't progressed beyond that. We are still a work in progress and we will be until Christ returns. And so we need to continue to be open to, to God's truth and, and, and for, because it may not be this tangible truth that's in the Bible necessarily, but it's the principles behind it. It's how to make those connections as to what the truth is in the Bible and make it relevant to people out in our world that are looking for something that they need. Because everyone needs something,
0: you know. the The important thing is that yes, we've been entrusted with this great truth. Um, we're one of the few churches out there that relies solely upon the Bible as our primary light, and with great truth comes great responsibility. Absolutely. Now, you know, I can go out into most communities, and sadly, the leading evangelist is probably not the Adventist church. You know, the Baptists are the ones holding tent meetings, you know, the Jehovah's witnesses are out there. I mean, they come to our door, you know, once They're every, faithful. every They're couple faithful. of months. Yep. And the sad thing is, is that what are we doing? We have this truth and we want to hold it in our own little exclusive club. You know, we want to we enjoy our potlucks. We want to enjoy our little socials. And yes, those are important for church growth, internal growth. What are we doing for organic growth outside of the church?
1: Right. And it goes back to we were talking about um, there was that article on the haystack just recently that was talking about we need to stop mm-hmm. making church a place where we're just making members comfortable and making it a place where it's, um, it's a place where people can feel that they can come and, and kind of get, and get away from the world and, and learn the truth and feel God's love and make it a place that, that people want to come to, that it's a refuge for them. It's not necessarily a place where, where, where they can be comfortable per se, I don't mean it's a safe place but it's not comfortable because when I start to feel comfortable in church I know I'm in a very dangerous place. I need to hear truth and have God kind of chisel away what is keeping me separated from him. I can't be comfortable at church comfortable at church but I should be able to feel safe. And is our church a safe you. Know, it's something we need to ask. Each and every single one of us needs to ask ourselves: Is our church a safe place? Is this a place where someone who has a drug addiction can come and find refuge? Is it a place where a smoker can come and find refuge and not be judged? That's what we need to ask ourselves. And if it's not, it starts with us. It starts with us when that person walks through our door. If if a woman were to walk in scantily clad are you going to walk up to her and and you know embrace her and say welcome we're so glad to have you here
0: I'm going to take it a step further is it a safe place where a believing member can wear jeans or a woman wearing pants up on the pulpit
1: Exactly Exactly. That, that's what we need to ask ourselves. Like I said, it shouldn't be a place where we're comfortable because that's dangerous. That's, that's that lukewarm place. God should constantly be able to work on our hearts and, 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 and repair those things that need to be repaired and restore the things that need to be restored. And for that to happen, we need to be taken out of our comfort zone. Because our comfort zone can become a, a stronghold. You know, when we think about comfort zones, we think of wanting to resort back to, to these little, this little stronghold where it's like, oh, I'm safe here. But when we are taken out of our comfort zone, that's where growth happens. Growth happens out of our comfort zone. And so when we look at that, It doesn't mean that the person doesn't have the capability of growing, but are they safe in in allowing to give them time? Do we have patience where it's a safe place that we're allowing the Lord and the Holy Spirit to grow them at his speed and not ours? Because conviction is not ours. We're not called to clean fish. We're called to fish. (laughs) We're called to be fishers of men. We're not supposed to clean them. It's not our job to convict anyone of anything. We're meant to embrace and love and share truth the way that God wants us to and not the way that we want to.
0: Well, with that, I think that, uh, You know, we've discussed this uh, in quite great length and uh, the crux is rise rise up, rise up and get out. You know, we're called to get out into the community and meet with people, invite them to church. But if we can't get them to church, we need to go out where they are and commune with them.
1: Meet them where they're at. Invite them to your home. I mean, I mean, like if you if you don't feel safe inviting them to your church, invite them to your home. It's real simple. It's rise up, be intentional, be authentic, be the hands and feet of Jesus.
0: Amen. Well, the the whole format of our show here is to uh, bring real life issues to the table to discuss them. Um, both serious, but also uh, sometimes not so serious. So, you know, we're, we're all about having a little bit of fun every now and again. Um, You know, if you're gonna go into uh, church life, or just life in general, where it's all fun and no play, well, as they say, it makes uh, Jack a dull boy. So, um, (laughs) you know, (laughs) we want to introduce a couple of uh, show bits that uh, we are hoping we'll uh, have some traction and some popularity with our listeners. Um, The first one we're going to entitle, and obviously, you know, we belong in the Adventist church, so there are some inside jokes, I'll say, uh, specifically around uh, veggie food uh, that we'll be uh, playing around with. Uh, The first one is going to be entitled uh, Connie's Tender Bits. Um, this is basically a segment where Connie is going to bring uh us stories of compassion um pretty much any story that uh, as she say gets her in the feels. Uh which not, is, that's difficult. Yeah, that's not very difficult, <laughs> but um you know that's that's one that we'll have probably as a regular segment. Uh Connie likes to read a lot of stories and and have uh, hope and humanity. Uh The second one, any time that, uh, you know, I know, especially as a young person, people would throw LNG white quotes at me to basically uh, disregard anything that I did. Chastise you? Chastise me. And when I ended up looking up some of these quotes, it meant nothing. (laughs) Nothing what this person was trying to tell me. So... Basically, what they're doing is misquoting or, as we're calling it, scrambling.
1: Josh, do you own a bicycle?
0: Yes, I do, sadly. <laughs> and <laughs> so back to the scrambling. Uh, we heard one time because obviously, you know her initials are e g. white. Someone called it was
1: and- it was Pastor Mike in Wisconsin
0: wanted to know who this egg white was. So anytime someone throws an LNG white quote your way that doesn't quite meet what she really meant, that's just a scrambled egg white.
1: Or maybe it's maybe they meant it the way it was supposed to be, but it was passive aggressive behavior. That scrambled egg white.
0: Passive aggressive, that's a big couple of words there.
1: Well, there, we we all know that there's a lot of passive aggressive behavior out there, especially with social media. It's really easy to be a keyboard warrior.
0: And this will be a topic of a future podcast. Yes. It, it might actually bleed into a couple of them. So uh, and one of the final ones is especially when we have a guest speaker, um, anybody who's anybody who is an Adventist. Uh, should know what a haystack is. Mm. Haystacks, for those who don't know, are basically taco salad without the shell. Yes. And um we're we're going to try to get into the minds of a few of the people that we bring on our show just to find out um how do you haystack? So, uh Connie and I will both take our turns at the end of this segment. But rounding back uh, we're going to go right into Connie's Tender Bits.
1: Do you have your violin ready? Your violin music? Because that would be great.
0: I'll have to add that in post-process.
1: <laughs> Anyways, um, my, my Tender Bit, which I just got to say real quick, one of my favorite canned meatless veggie foods are Tender Bits. And so the other night we were making some... Um, Buttered noodles with tender bits, and we f- and we we fried some up in a pan, and I was thinking, you know, this would be a good little segment, tender bits. And I was thinking about stories of compassion. See, I'll so- interrupt.
0: you know, we've already got one podcast under our belt, and you know, now we spend most of our day planning the future ones, so,
1: <laughs> well, I'd like to think that God plans it but um the one story that he gave me to share for um our first tender bit is um you may some of you may have seen this story on Facebook or on social media it's um a 31 year old man in California named Chris Salvatore um who who took in his 89 year old neighbor Norma Cook um and I'll just read bits and pieces of the story here. This story, just as Josh said, got me in the feels. I, he uh, he saw me crying and he knew that it was um, one of those stories that just kind of gets me. And so yes, this one gets me in the feels and I hope it gets you too. Um, it says, she called me the grandson she never had, um, Salvatore said of Cook, and he considers her a grandmother whom he describes as friendly but sassy, with a stubborn streak. But recently, Cook, who, is, who has leukemia, became gravely ill and spent two months in the hospital battling pneumonia and breathing problems. Knowing her days are limited, Cook has chosen to spend what time she has left with Chris Salvatore. The nurses and doctors told her it would be a miracle if she lived past the holidays. So the fact that she's still thriving is really a great thing. She's doing great. If you could see her right now, she looks so cute on the couch with her feet propped up. She just hangs out on my couch and watches TV. For years, the pair lived across from each other in the same apartment complex in West Hollywood, California. But after Cook's hospital stay, doctors told her that she couldn't return home to her apartment unless she had 24-hour care, which wasn't covered by her insurance. Salvatore immediately turned to the internet to help. Um, with a GoFundMe page that raised more than $50,000 um, last Thanksgiving for Cook. While they tested caretakers, the GoFundMe savings quickly dwindled To cu- and to cut costs, Salvatore recently invited Cook to move into his apartment. She couldn't be happier that I asked, he said. I was over there visiting most days anyway. The only other option was for her to go into a facility and I just couldn't do that to someone who is like my own grandmother. Both say the arrangement is working out well and they have developed a routine. He cooks for me, Cook, who is childless and doesn't have close family in California. If he can't make it as an actor, he can make it as a chef, she joked. We always watch the news. We mostly talk and drink champagne and eat peanuts. Salvatore often posts photos and videos of him and Cook on social media with the hashtag MyNeighborNorma. After months of saying hello through their kitchen windows, he knew they would be best friends the first time they met when he knocked on Cook's door, and that was nearly five years ago. She offered me a glass of champagne, it's her favorite drink, and they just sat down and talked. We connected right away. Back when she was a young adult, she had a lot of friends who were gay. And I'm gay too, so it made me feel safe at home and a peace that sort of gave her that bond again. He also took in her cat Hermes. Cook has lived in the apartment complex for about 30 years. She does not want to budge, Salvatore said. My apartment was the only place she would have moved. She has strong opinions about where she wants to carry out the rest of her days and she wants to stay here. Moving her in, it feels as though it was meant to be all along. It's really fulfilling, fulfilling. To be there for her, and Cook is grateful to have found a true friend in Salvatore. He's a really wonderful guy, she said. So I just love this story about um, this this guy, and it goes back to what we we're talking about, like that friendship evangelism. They just they were they lived in the same apartment complex together, and one day they just started talking. Chris came over and and said, you know, can I come in and talk with you? And they formed this friendship, and then he he saw a need and he filled that need for her um and unfortunately we um we have to tell you that we just found out that um, Norma passed away on February 15th at 1 a.m but she lived out her last days with her best friend and someone that she considered family and and met a need that she had and took very good care of her in her final moments of her life.
0: I can see tears welling up in Connie's eyes right now. So uh, that that meets the litmus test of uh, one of Connie's tender bits. Um, on a lighter side, we're gonna move into uh, how do you haystack? Oh,
1: I suppose I should probably quote the source on that too, right? Um, this article that I read from was from the Today Show. So sorry about that.
0: Oh, that's okay. We are all about compliance. Yes. So, to know a little bit about somebody, you might be able to tell about what kind of a person they are by how they haystack. So, uh, I'm going to have to throw it over to you, Connie. How do you haystack?
1: All right. Um, Well, for those who don't know what a haystack is, because I didn't either. I am not a generational Adventist. I became an Adventist about 11 years ago. So, for those who don't know, because I lived in Wisconsin, and when you, Josh, told me about hey you need to have a haystack i was thinking about those onion strings that are piled up on a you know it's like the onion strings that are fried up kind of like an onion ring but they're onion strings used to get those at this restaurant up in milwaukee all the time but so when you said haystack i'm like oh that's like a side dish
0: well being from wisconsin you either have cheese or something deep fried, so it's not, I guess, unusual that you would have thought that.
1: <laughs> right. And that's just immediately what I came to. But um, so how do I haystack? Well, depending upon my flow that day, um, I either start my first layer with the fritos. Okay. Or rice. I love some some rice. Sometimes I'll even do a little bit of both. I'll do some Fritos and then some rice. Then I gotta have some black beans. Um, I like the uh, the crumbles. You know, the crumbles mixed up with the black beans. I like that. Um, and then I top it with. I put the the cheese on next. The cheese melts on top of the warm fake meat.
0: Yeah, crumbles for our meat-eating friends uh, is fake meat. <laughs> Soy, soy meat.
1: Yes, soy meat. So um, after the cheese, then I put on some tomatoes. Um, I'm not a big raw onion person. If I'm going to do it, it has to be pico de gallo uh, mixed in with the tomatoes and the cilantro. Um, So I will usually do tomatoes, some sour cream, um, jalapenos. Got to have jalapenos. Um, Avocado. I love some sliced avocado on there. Lettuce. Got to have the lettuce. Um, and that's about it. I don't do the taco sauce. I don't do anything like that. Um, I'm trying to think if I'm forgetting anything. I don't think I am. So that's how I haystack.
0: Well, I'm starting to get a little hungry here, and <laughs> I just had uh, had dinner. Um, myself, how do I haystack? Well, you know there are people that will use the base layer as Doritos, or I've seen um,
1: tortilla chips,
0: tortilla chips,
1: plain tortilla chips.
0: I'm not a big fan of that. I'm I'm honestly a fan of the Fritos. Mm-hmm. Um, if they have the chili cheese ones, Ooh. I like I like a little bit of spice. Yes. Uh, I've also grown accustomed to the uh, white rice, mm-hmm. steamed white rice. Um, so white rice and Fritos as my base layer. Um I have a confession to make. Um I still do like eating meat. So having that next layer of uh ground beef uh is is pretty tasty to me. Uh I'll throw some refried beans on top to kind of make it into like a, like a pancake.
1: You can take the boy out of the Midwest, but you can't take the Midwest out of the boy. That's just I'm going to just preface with how much you're going to go into now with like cheese.
0: Yes. So so I got my base layer of beans and and uh and beef. And then I'm going to throw in just a little bit of lettuce um so I can basically call it a salad, <laughs> but it's really about a 2000 calorie salad. Um a lot of cheese. I do like like me some shredded cheese. Um the the Mexican Uh, blend that uh, Publix or uh, Kroger has uh, is is pretty solid. Um, I'm going to throw in a ton of sour cream. I am a sour cream fanatic. I mean, I could eat that with a spoon if I really was allowed to. (laughs) Um, Ortega taco sauce. And... I'm not into the tomato thing, though. Um, you don't do tomatoes. I, I don't really do raw tomatoes. Salsa. If I have salsa, I'll put salsa on top.
1: You do jalapenos.
0: Jalapenos, yes. And then people are going to think I'm nuts on this one, but I tell you, a cold can of Bush's baked vegetarian beans. Put that stuff all over the top. Uh, it, it is phenomenal it it adds that little taste of sweetness to the spicy that uh you know if, if i'm not making a haystack in a burrito is phenomenal
1: you put them in a burrito too let's be real
0: i know absolutely uh basically for me uh, a haystack is just a blown up burrito <laughs> Um, but I can't preface the sour cream enough. I I do like to have, um, at least a good four or five dollops of, uh, of sour cream.
1: See, you love the sour cream. I'm a big, I love my cilantro. Like, you know me at Chipotle. It's like, I'll take a side of cilantro, please. Like I just, I could put that stuff on anything. Maybe not on anything, but.
0: Yeah, I would be careful because I might test you on that one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) waffles tomorrow morning cilantro
0: now no. i'm not no, i'm not no. hungry anymore no <laughs> well that uh that wraps up our uh, segment of how do you haystack uh like i said when we ever have a guest speaker i think that's going to be our lead icebreaker it's a
1: good icebreaker
0: yeah you know well if they're not you know an adventist but uh i guess you would have to say for our not adventist friends uh, how do you taco salad
1: Yeah, you just preface it with how do you haystack slash taco salad.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably about right. Mm -hmm. Well, I think we're going to wrap up uh, this uh, episode two. Um, You know, I don't know what more we can save today because we pretty much covered it all from evangelism to uh, uh, tender bits uh, to, uh, to haystacks. So I think that's a good round circle there.
1: Hey, and I got through tender bits without just like completely sobbing and crying. So that's
0: you are showing some growth there, Connie. I am. I I have to give you a little a little golf clap on that one. (laughs) Um. So yes. So for future shows, uh, we're we're hopefully, like I said, going to have a little serious and a little bit of fun. Uh, I'd like to say that we are uh, kind of the podcast in between uh, barely adventist. Uh, If anyone is familiar with uh, the barely adventist blog. And uh, The Haystack, uh, which is also a a website blog type thing that uh, was made by uh, a pastor friend of ours up in Green Bay, Wisconsin. So I guess with that, we will uh, wish everyone well, rise up, and get out.
1: See you next week.